My name is Derek, one of the pastors here. And do you know what today is? One, two, three, one, two, three. Did you know that? 12, 31, 23. Anyway, kind of cool. Um, but which means tomorrow is the new year. So think about things new. Last week was Christmas. Kids, how many of you knew last week was Christmas? And kids, raise your hand if you got something new for Christmas. Most of you, cool, I got something new too. So this is new. This is a hand mixer. Actually, I got this for Callie, um, but I use it more probably. And the cool thing is there's a different attachment. You can take this off and there's another one. And so make an eggnog, you can like stick it in with the egg and it whips them up, it's really cool. Anyway, this is new. I used to do it with just the whisk part and like this forever. I don't have to do that anymore because this is cool. Now, Callie got me this. It is not a torture device. What do you think this might be? It's a French fry cutter. Look at that. Perfect French fries every time. No longer will I spend 20 minutes doing this. And by the time I'm done, the rest are all brown, right? You know what I'm talking about if you've tried to make. Now, just one go French fries. Whoosh, Perfect every time. Brand new, and you will never again see me doing it the way I used to. Well, what's my point? We're talking about things new, and often when we get something new, we do away with what was old because the new is better. And as I was preparing, I mean, I had so many lists going through my head of all the new things. Uh, my, my grandma told me a story of when they got indoor plumbing. So, I mean, just a little perspective, Toilets inside haven't been around forever. And so she talked about being a kid um, and remembering when they first got their toilet. I think she was an adult before they first got their toilet in the house. But she said as a kid, their, their outhouse was outside the door and down the hill a little ways. And she and her sister, she was telling me a story of they went one morning to the bathroom out together. But the night before had been an ice storm. And so they went down and they couldn't get back to the house because the hill was just sheer ice. So they'd like get a little bit and slide back down till their mom, my great grandma, saw what was happening, went out with a couple rugs, threw them down the hill and they would lay a rug, climb on top, grab the other rug, put it up, climb, right? And finally got to the top. Well, we don't have to do that anymore because we now have toilets inside the house. And we can go down the list, right, of old versus new. Uh, buggies, horse and buggies, right? How long would it take to get from Missouri to Colorado, which is where my family traveled from? A long time. Well, they had cars that were a lot faster. That's better. And it's a little weird right now if you went outside and saw somebody in a horse and buggy, right, going to church because we have cars now. Things are better. Well, we are in Hebrews. So turn to Hebrews, if you would. Hebrews chapter 8. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. There's one in the seat in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, take that one home with you. And in that Bible, it is page 1,107. Lydia, page 1,107. <laughs> Next time, bring your Bible to church. Okay. <laughs> page 1,107, Hebrews 8. So we've been going through Hebrews, and there's two big themes in Hebrews. One, Jesus is better. Then what? Well, then everything. And it's going over and over. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. And the big point through the book is endure in your faith, right? Keep it up. Because some of these readers, they were Jewish believers, and they were tempted to go back to their old way. And he's saying, don't go back to the old way. Stick it out with Christ because he's better. And really, he's the only way. And today, we're really going to see a shift in the book 
And honestly, it's kind of a shift in the whole New Testament as we look at the new covenant. This new covenant is better. It's not like the old. And so don't go back to the old. It's new. It has replaced the old, kind of like me with this French fry maker. Why would I ever go back to a knife? I have something new. Same way here. Who would go back to the old covenant? We have a new covenant. So Hebrews 8 uh, one through six, we're going to look at the whole chapter today, but one through six is kind of a summary of what has come before. And he says this, now the point in what we are saying is this, we have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he, this is Jesus, were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Lord Jesus Christ, we, uh, we ask you to be here with us this morning. Um, enlighten our hearts and our, and our minds, our emotions and our intellect to understand what you're showing us here in the book of Hebrews um, and I pray that, that you would apply it to us and we would be faithful to apply it. That 2024 is a new year and for some of us it would also be a new step with you. Uh, God, we love you, we trust you in Jesus' name, amen. So here is, is a little bit of a summary of what we've already seen. Basically, Jesus is our new high priest, the final high priest. Not like the old priests in the old covenant, they had to be Levites. Uh, Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi, he was from the tribe of Judah, so he couldn't be a priest according to the Levitical priesthood, so that's new. Uh, we already saw he's in the order of Melchizedek. Now here's what's kind of neat though. It, it's talking about Jesus replacing those old and then this idea of this tent, um, being a copy. So if you remember, and if you don't, that's okay. It's way back in, in the Old Testament. Moses, when he left, he led the, the Israelites out of Egypt. God told him to, to build a tent or a tabernacle that later the temple would be built to replace that tabernacle in a, in a similar form. And God told him how to do it as a picture of what was already in heaven. And so what he made was a copy of what already existed in heaven, which is kind of cool. Um, so I, I don't fully understand this, I'll be honest, what it looks like in heaven, this tabernacle, but, but God had already created it. So it appears to be physical of some kind, and they were making a copy. You ever make a copy of a copy? You ever see the movie Multiplicity? That's a great movie. Uh, anyway, make a, he, he copies himself, and it gets worse every time. Anyway, you make a copy of a copy, the copies don't come out quite as clear. That's kind of the same here. What they had on earth, this tabernacle, was a copy of what was in heaven. Jesus, when he died, rose from the dead. He took his seat at the right hand of the Father in the perfect tabernacle. He's alive, right, in the original, meaning Jesus is better. He's in the original. Who, in any other religion, is still alive, right? The founders. I mean, you look back at, at uh, Islam. Muhammad, he, he's dead. Uh, you look at the founder of, of the Mormons, Joseph Smith. He died in a shootout breaking out of jail. He's dead. The founder of Christian, Jesus Christ died 
rose from the dead, is still alive physically and in the perfect temple. So that's kind of the idea, meaning that's where he is, but that's not the point. That's just kind of a cool picture. The point he gets to in verse 6. As it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. That one verse is a hinge point, right? He, verse one, he says, now the point we were saying is this, and then he kind of goes, this is the point, verse six. The new covenant is better than the old because the promises are better. Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant with better promises. So real quick, what is a covenant? Uh, a covenant, scripture, you see it over and over throughout the Bible, but a covenant in our terms would be a, a deal, a contract, a little more than a contract, though, because a covenant is, is deeply personal while also being legally binding. That, that's a covenant. Uh, today, we don't use the word often. Maybe we do in, in marriage, right? A marriage covenant. You, you create this deal with one another. I'm going to love you forever, and I'm going to love you forever. Here's the thing with a marriage covenant, the way it's broken down is, and I've even heard people say this, I'll do this as long as you do this. A true covenant isn't that way, and a true marriage covenant isn't that way. I'm going to do this for you no matter what. And she says, I'm going to do this for you, no matter what. That, that's where marriage works. And that's the way a covenant is really supposed to be. But there are binding actions on both parties. And so through the Old Testament, you see several covenants. Some, most covenants are, are bilateral, right? Meaning I do this and you do this. Some covenants are unilateral where God says, I will do this, period, done. The Noahic covenant, right? Uh, God flooded the earth. Noah comes out of the ark. God says, I covenant with you. I promise I'm never going to flood the earth again like that. By the way, next time he is going to destroy it, but it's going to be with fire. So, but, but his deal was, uh, it's not gonna, I'm not going to flood it again. And here's the sign, the, the rainbow. So he gives the rainbow as a sign, unilateral covenant. I'm going to do this no matter what. He makes a promise to Abraham. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless everyone through you no matter what. Done. Now, this covenant is a bilateral covenant that he's referring to, the old covenant. So again, don't get confused with these other covenants. This covenant is the one God made with Israel through Moses, where he gave the law. And in this covenant, there were stipulations. You do this, I will be your God, right? You do this, I will bless you. You do this, I will curse you and, and, and kick you out, basically. So we're going to look at, at these covenants and, and kind of compare the two. So we're going to look at first three aspects of the old covenant. Now here's why we're, we're looking at this. Well, it's in the Bible, in Hebrews, but I'll be honest, some of us are tempted to live by this old covenant. You may think, oh, it's, it's Jewish, it's in the Old Testament, we don't, but I'll be honest, as we go through, you might realize, no, I, I do have a tendency to put myself under this type of old covenant rather than availing myself of the new in Jesus, which is better. If you haven't got that point, it's better. So three aspects of the old covenant. One, the old covenant offered forgiveness through earthly sacrifice. Forgiveness through earthly sacrifice. The word is atonement. That's often used. So in this old covenant, when people would sin, they would then go to God with a sacrifice. And almost every sacrifice that you find in Leviticus and Numbers in the Old Testament are for sin. Some are free will, right? They're thanksgiving offerings that they give, but most are for sin. If you do this, you bring two pigeons. If you do this, you bring a goat, if, right? 
whatever it is. If you, if you steal from someone, you need to give them back seven times, whatever it is, and then you need to come offer a sacrifice for atonement to God. That was the sacrificial system to cover over sin. So again, forgiveness was through earthly sacrifice. And in Hebrews later, we're gonna see without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Meaning, there must be a law that's defined. So if sin requires sacrifice, you must know what sin is. Therefore, they gave the law. Ten Commandments. Any of you kids know all ten, ten Commandments? Anybody? Your parents will test you later, right? The Ten Commandments. When we think about the law, we think about those ten commandments. But you know how many commandments there actually were? They've counted them up. There's right around 613. Right. Whoa, exactly. Right response, whoever did that. Thank you. Whoa, 613 rules or laws, and if you break any one, you have to sacrifice to cover over to receive forgiveness. That was the, the first one. Number two, the old covenant offered acceptance based on obedience. Acceptance based on obedience. You see this in Deuteronomy, specifically chapter 26, but it's repeated over and over between God and the Israelites. You do this, I will be your God. You do this, I kick you out, right? Acceptance based on obedience, meaning they can lose their acceptance through disobedience. That's a little bit scary, Number three, last one in the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was doomed to fail. The Old Covenant was doomed to fail. Look at verse seven with me. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second, for he finds fault with them when he says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Why was the old covenant doomed to fail? Was there something wrong with it? It was given by God. There was nothing wrong with the old covenant. Where was the problem? In people. He found fault with them. The old covenant was doomed to fail, not because God was wrong, not because he made a mistake. This was his plan all along, but because people could not fully fulfill the covenant. It was doomed to fail. We were born in sin separated from God, and cannot live perfectly. So nobody could obey this law perfectly. The New Testament says it this way, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So then what was the point of the law? Real quick, we're gonna touch on that and then get to this new covenant. The point of the law, Galatians, Paul writes it this way, 3, 23 to 24. It says, now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian, or some translations say tutor right there, until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. So the law was given as a teacher, a guardian, a supervisor. For what reason? In Romans, he clarifies, Romans 7, 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if I had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. The point of law was to show God's expectations. That, that was it. It was a measuring rod. 
live up to this. This is what God expects. God is perfect, so God's standards are perfect. Here's the law, boom. Meaning then we try, the Israelites and, and others throughout all history, we try and live up and we can't do it. We keep falling short. That's the point of the law, to show God's standards, which are good, but also to show that we can't live up to them. So then God, in his grace and mercy, gave them the sacrificial system. When you fall short, you sacrifice to cover so that you could be forgiven, you could be good. Here's my question before we look at the new covenant. Do you live under the old? Or are there aspects of your life where you live under this old? Meaning, when you sin, do you feel as if you owe God? Right? Forgiveness was based on sacrifices under the old. Do you, when you sin, feel like, I need to repay God for this? Maybe, I, I've heard of people, oh, I, take a, I take a cold shower to punish myself. Or, or when, when you have consequences for your sin, you kind of relish it. You're like, this is what I deserve. This is good. It's called penance, right? You're doing this in extreme Catholic sex. They'll even like hurt themselves. Oh, I've sinned, and so I have to beat myself to pay for it. That is sacrifice for forgiveness. And if many, you know, right, if you think this is just weird Catholic thing, and it is largely Catholic, there is, right? If you sin, then you have to go sacrifice. And then they'll tell you, you have to do your Hail Marys or your whatever. You have to do certain things. But guess what? Protestants do it too. Oh, I've sinned, so I have to go to church this week to pay God back for, I messed. That is old covenant, right? That is doing some kind of sacrifice to cover over your sin. Jesus, when he died on the cross, was the final sacrifice. If you think you need to offer anything, you're missing it. You're missing it completely because we are forgiven through Jesus alone. How about this one? The first covenant offered acceptance based on obedience. Do you feel that? That when you sin, when you mess up, now God is done with you. Oh, but then when you're good, oh, now I'm close to God. And so you feel close to God when you're good, far away when you're bad. And uh, maybe this is your parents' fault. Some of us parents aren't perfect. Um, and maybe we've experienced that some with our, our parents, mainly our fathers a lot of times, where when we're good, when we do what they want, then they accept us. Or, or then when we do what's wrong, we feel rejected. And maybe they've even said that, you know, I reject you right now because you're apart. Um, I remember when, when our kids were little uh, and we spanked, don't tell anybody, um, when, Lydia need, when they needed it, um, they got spankings. And here's, here's why I like Here's why I like spankings versus other long-term punishments. You give it, and then you cuddle, right? It's, a, it's, it's done, right? We, we do it, and it's done, and then I can, but I love you anyway, and I accept you. And some of the best hugs were right after spankings. You know, some tears, but holding close. I love you, and I accept you no matter what. You're forgiven. There's discipline, but you're in. You're not rejected. You're not apart. The new covenant is so much better. We're going to see that in a minute. But the old, again, maybe for you, I can't come to church till I get my act together. No, right? I can't be around godly people or Christians because I've been misbehaving. No, no, no. Acceptance, that's old covenant based on obedience. So how is this new covenant better? Well, he is going to quote Jeremiah 31 where God gave the prophet this vision, this, this prophecy, looking forward to the new. Look at verse nine. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. 
And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, for I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. The new covenant. Why is it better? Three reasons the new covenant is better. One, we are given a new forgiveness. A new forgiveness. We're kind of starting at the end, but really the rest of this new covenant is based on this. Verse 12, I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. This is a big deal. Kids, if you've tuned out because I'm boring, tune back in real quick. In the end, when you stand before Jesus and Jesus asks you, well, no, no, that question is after. How many sins is Jesus going to bring up with you? When you stand before him in the end, how many sins is he going to remind you of and say, remember you did this? Any, any kids? Zero. Zero. Because he will remember your sins no more. New forgiveness. He's not one of those that keeps bringing it up, right? Uh, the old Garth Brooks song, we bury the hatchet, believe the handle sticking out. To, God doesn't do that. He forgives completely. New forgiveness. And what we see else in verse 12, I will be merciful toward their iniquities. Mercy. That means not giving what is due. So, so there is no sacrifice necessary, right? Because he's merciful. We, we will not get the punishment we deserve. We are forgiven new forgiveness. This is awesome. The old covenant, here's what they did. And probably, we don't know for sure, but probably starting about age 13, they had to sacrifice once a year to cover their sins. All, you know, those they knew they committed, those they didn't. Here's how they did it. They had to bring a spotless lamb to the temple, to a priest, and they would bring it up. Imagine being 13 years old and bringing this cute little lamb, right, perfect shape, up before, and then they had to kill it to cover their sins. Do you know who killed the lamb? The sinner, meaning you would have to. And you'd pinch it between your legs, you'd grab its chin, you'd pull it back, and you'd cut its throat. They did this every single year as a reminder of their sin and the severity of sin. We don't do that anymore. <laughs> Praise God. We don't have to do that because we are forgiven completely forever. A new forgiveness. Again, if we think we have to sacrifice for our own sins, we don't understand what Jesus did on the cross. The gospel is that we are completely forgiven. No sacrifice needed. In fact, anything you can bring is junk, <laughs> right? It, 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 it's nothing because Jesus already brought it all. Now, here's the other question that I started to ask kids, and, and here's one for you. When you get to the throne, and let's say St. Peter's the one there at, at the gates of heaven. He's like, why should I let you in? If you begin your answer with the word I, you got it wrong. And, and honestly, many people, even within the church, will say this. Why do you get to go to heaven? Because I was more good than bad. Or I went to church. Or I was a good person. Whatever it is, that's incorrect. The only right answer is because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And I, I'm in him. That's how you get in. Him. It's not you at all. This new forgiveness is not based on you at all. That's new. 
All right, number two, what makes the new covenant better? We are given a new self with a new identity, a new heart, and a new mind. Look at verse 10. For this covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is so deep, and we're going to get into this more in coming weeks as we get into Hebrews. God changes our inner self. In the Old Testament, the old law, external, right? These rules given to try and follow. Now, these, these rules, they're listed here, are, are taken and then written on a heart. Uh, it's said this way, our heart of stone is removed and a heart of flesh is put in. He changes our actual nature on the inside. He changes us, right? This is new, meaning God gives us the desire to know, obey, and honor him from a loving relationship. So looking at this old law, is law gone? Are God, right, the, the standards God gave to live up to, are those out completely? They're not. In fact, Jesus made them harder. In the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. Jesus says, if you look at a woman with lust, you're guilty of adultery. That's harder. He makes it internal. He says, the Old Testament says, thou shalt not murder. The, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder. He says, I tell you, if you hate somebody, you're guilty of murder. Ooh. So he takes even these laws that were external and brings them to the heart, meaning in your heart, you can sin just by your thoughts. But yet here, he's going to change your heart. He's going to change your mind. He gives us the desire. That's awesome. The desire to know, obey, and honor him. This is key from a loving relationship. Now, when you're saved, do you become perfect? No. <laughs> a process begins, which is called sanctification, right? And so God is patient with you, with me, as this process gradually, we, we begin to love more and more what he loves and hate more and more what, what he hates. This change uh, takes place often slowly, but he changes again our hearts. You know who the most miserable person is? You think it's the non-believer apart from God? It's not. The most miserable person is the Christian, the one who knows the Lord and is living in willful sin. That's the most miserable person because their heart, if they're truly believed, they're, they're truly part of God's family, their heart is now his. And at their, at their deepest, they know what's right and they do want it. And to walk in willful sin, that person is gonna be miserable, depressed, anxious because they're out of line with what's right. The person who doesn't have God at all will just go this way. This is right. No big deal. Because God changes the heart. God changes the heart. Third one. We are given a new experience. A new experience. Verse 11. And they shall not teach one another his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. That word know is very specific. It's a word that doesn't mean just intellect. It means experiential knowledge. That's what this word means, meaning the believer, the person who has surrendered to Jesus as Lord, has an experiential knowledge of God. You know him. They will know me. And again, this is acceptance, not acceptance based on obedience. He says, I will be their God, meaning if you are in him, he is your God. You are his son, his daughter. Done. You are accepted and you can know him. 
This is really talking about a new experience. We are given a new experience, really experienced through the Holy Spirit. The believer is given the Holy Spirit to indwell them. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go. You see it with Samson, right? Samson's doing his thing. The Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he kills a whole bunch of people. Um, or the Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he tears down a, a, a building. Uh, you see it over and over throughout the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would come and go. Now, the Holy Spirit comes and stays on the believer. You see that at Pentecost, right? When the, the disciples received the, the Holy Spirit in a tongue of fire, you know, they, they kind of showed it. They made it visible. God made it visible so they could see what was happening. That is new, and we have that too, this new experience. Here's what that means. He gives us a new heart, a desire. He writes a law in our hearts to know really what's right, and then he gives us the power to do it. This is the part where often we miss. Can a Christian walk in a way that glorifies God all the time? Well, you don't know how to answer, do you? The answer is yes. The answer is yes, which is a little bit scary, right? And I hear this all the time. Oh, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's true. We are a sinner saved by grace, but he changes our heart. We don't stay stuck in sin. We can walk in a way that glorifies God. Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Meaning, we can succeed. That is really good news. I hear Christians say, no, I have this sin. I'm stuck. I have to be this way. No. <laughs> we can walk in a way that glorifies him. That's really, really good news. Walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Here's a fact, though. There's a battle through our entire life, right? It, it's a street fight between our flesh and our spirit. Our spirit that wants to glorify God. Our flesh, while we're still in this body, that wants to sin. It wants, and so there's going to be this battle. We can win. That's new about this new covenant. But here's the thing. What about when we don't? Right? So I want what's right, but, and I can do what's right if I walk in the Spirit, but then I don't. Does God not accept me anymore? Am I not forgiven? No, now we go back to the beginning. We have new forgiveness. This is the really good news. So that when we sin, right? 1 John 1, 9 Right? If you confess, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins, meaning we can come right back in. He's already forgiven all our sins, past, present, and future, meaning we're forgiven. We can come straight back to him. New forgiveness. We do not need to sacrifice. We do not need to do anything else to become right with him again. We're still right, but we do need to repent and lean in to him. A lot of times when we sin, we separate from God, right? We feel old covenant, oh, I'm not accepted, or I need to do some things. What we're supposed to do, what we need to do is realize when we sin, we're forgiven, we're accepted, we're still a child, and then we lean in. We lean into community, we lean into him, and remember, he's not going to bring it up with us. He loves us. Now, we already talked about covenants. There's two sides to a covenant. What about this one? There's two sides to this one too, so what's your side? God promises all these things. What's our side? Romans 4, 5 says this. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. How do we become part of this new covenant? By faith, by belief. Meaning we believe that God, died, Jesus, died on the cross, rose from the dead. We believe it. And we confess him as Lord, as Romans 10.9 would say, meaning I agree with your law and I want you to be Lord. I want to live it this way. Now, when I mess up, I'm going to come back to you. But that's salvation, faith in him as Lord. That's it. 
Again, and that's not a work, right? Belief is not an action. It's not a work. Good works flow out. Keep coming. We're going to talk more about these good works. But those flow out. They don't earn anything. They are a result. We become partakers of the new covenant by placing our faith in Jesus as Lord, nothing else. Last thing really about covenants. A lot of covenants would have a mediator. Right, someone who would say would be in the middle. Right, all right, you do this, you do this. If there's a problem, come to me. You know, a mediator. Who's the mediator of this covenant? It's yeah, it's Jesus, and he's the guarantor. It says, meaning he guarantees it both ways. So if we are in him, he guarantees to the Father that we're acceptable because of his blood, and then he guarantees to us forgiveness. Jesus is the one in the middle saying, Father, he, she, good. Even when we sin, hey, I paid for that, we're good. And then, and then for us, right, when we struggle maybe with doubt, or with guilt, he comes to us and says, no, I already guaranteed you forget. I died for you. I guarantee it to you. He is the guarantor both ways. It's a beautiful picture. So look at verse 13 last time. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. So how much of that old covenant is still in effect? None. Does God still have standards for us to live up to? Absolutely. And he gives us the ability to do it through the Holy Spirit. But being right with him through law is, is totally gone. He makes it obsolete. Sometimes Christians will read the Old Testament and go, oh, I need to live by some of this old law or apply some of this. It became obsolete. Jesus would predict this. He'd be next to the temple, which is the place they went to sacrifice. And he said, you see this temple? It's going to be destroyed. Not one stone left on another. That happened in AD 70. When the, the Romans came into Jerusalem, they burned the temple. The gold in the temple melted, and it seeped into the cracks. And so to get all the gold, they tore it apart, brick by brick, stone by stone, to get the gold, the gold that was between. The temple was gone. So the Jews could no longer, they could no, no longer even do the Old Covenant because the temple was gone. That was God's plan because it is obsolete. And some, some will look at the, the Bible and say, oh, in the future, the temple's going to be rebuilt and sacrifices are going to be renewed. That's kind of a certain view of eschatology. Uh, guess what? No. Maybe, maybe it'll be, who knows? But God is not going to reinstitute sacrifices. That's silly. Jesus already paid the final sacrifice. He died. He rose from the dead. No, never again will there be a need for sacrifice for atonement or for forgiveness. It is done. It is obsolete. So as we move into this next year, just final, final thought, are, are you going to live under the new covenant, right? Are you going to whip your eggs with the new whipper? Are you going to do it the old way, right? Are you going to go out and buy yourself a uh, French fry cutter and do it the right way? Are you going to keep doing it by hand, right? As we go, I, I want you to think about that though with your relationship with God. You're accepted because of Jesus, right? You're forgiven because of Jesus. And you can walk in a way that glorifies him as you walk in him. But when you don't, quickly run back to him, confess, receive forgiveness, and then step back into that, that deep relationship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for this new covenant that's not based on us, that's based on you. Um, a lot of us are, are struggling in life with acceptance, and we're accepted by you 